Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful, plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. And let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we we ask that you would make your word clear, that you would open our eyes to see what is in your scriptures, and that you would particularly, Lord, speak to us in this text and speak to us in a way that leads us to trust even uh, more deeply on your Son. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, one of the benefits of preaching passage by passage through a book like we've been going through Luke is that you can't avoid the passages that uh, you would rather just skip over. You ever kind of do that when you're maybe reading through your your Bible personally? You, you, You get to a passage and you can... Uh, you say, oh, maybe this is a day I just kind of flip to the next page. When, when a portion of scripture uh, just you know, speaks to you in a way that starts to rub you the wrong way, um, make you feel uncomfortable. And today we come face to face with a topic that many of us would, would, would feel uncomfortable about if we really set on it. Topic of money. The Bible speaks about our material possessions over and over and over again. And so really the only way you can get around it is by skipping pages or, or jumping over whole passages. The Bible speaks about our money, our material possessions, 450 times. That's number two, only to, well, can you guess what number one would be? Idolatry. So number one's idolatry. Number two topic that the Bible speaks to is material possessions. You can start to see the close connection even between those two things. Luke talks about money more than any other gospel. And so as we've been going through the gospel of Luke, we've had those uncomfortable places where uh, God has spoken to us and said things that make us uncomfortable for having a lot of possessions that we hold on to. And uh, so, so what, what's happening? 
Scripture, as it speaks to us about our material possessions, as Luke speaks to us about our material possessions, is really speaking to us about something that is close to our heart. Because though our attitude towards money speaks volumes about the true desires of our heart. Our posture towards our possessions says more than we would, might even care to think about our attitude towards God, our attitude towards the things of this life, and our attitude towards the promises of heaven. This morning, we're placed face-to-face with this because the point of this passage is quite simple, but we're going to have to wrestle over it slowly. The point of this passage is a call. It's a call to guard yourself from greed. Look out for the love of stuff that creeps in and captures your affections. Just like it did with that man who calls out to Jesus in our text. So Jesus is teaching the crowd when suddenly a voice rises above uh, the, the discussion that's happening with an urgent request. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's a familiar situation and maybe, maybe even commiserate with this guy. Uh, his father died and he left a bunch of stuff behind and now he and his brother are squabbling over how that stuff is uh, to be divided. Who gets what? And this brother is so convinced that he's being shortchanged by his brother that he goes to the great rabbi named Jesus. And he says, tell my brother to settle the estate in my favor. Tell my brother to give me my money. But look how Jesus responds. Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? Ouch. Now, that's, that is a, a, a diss if I've ever heard one. Jesus is intentionally opting out from, from involving himself in this man's affairs. And we have to wonder why. Is he, is he intentionally being rude? And I think the clear answer is no. Jesus isn't uh, just dissing this guy to be rude to him. He's showing this man that the greatest kind of help he can give him is, is, is to distance himself from this agenda that this man has set up. He's showing this man that his concerns are totally different. They're on a completely different level. Because this man who calls out to Jesus from the crowd, he's locked his eyes on a kingdom of earthly possessions, but Jesus has locked his eyes on the exact opposite. He's locked his eyes on the kingdom of God. And you can see this even from the context. Remember what we've been talking about. Even last week, Jesus has been uh, laboring to tell the crowds about taking a spiritual stand even when it costs you your life, even when it costs you persecution. He's been telling the crowd about um, heavenly realities. And then all of a sudden, this voice starts begging Jesus 
to intervene in earthly affairs. You can see it. What is this guy uh, doing? He's not listening to Jesus' pleas to confess him before men. Instead, he's saying, Jesus, I need you. I need your power and your position to help out my bank account. And so Jesus gives this guy these tough words. Man, who made me judge over you? Who made me your personal property attorney? Yes, Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. He is judge even over this man's affairs. But that's the point. Jesus is saying, I am so much more a judge than you would even esteem me to be. This matter is not even on on the horizon. My mind is set on suffering and dying in Jerusalem, bringing forgiveness of sins. Who made me judge over you? And so maybe some of us need to hear this same tough love from Jesus this morning because I think there are subtle ways that we can try to take the same posture of this man who calls out from the crowd. We can try, even in ways we don't notice, to leverage our relationship with Jesus for our earthly, greedy agenda. And we do this every time that we sell ourselves that subtle lie of the prosperity gospel. Every time we tell ourselves, if I'm associated with you, Jesus, if I'm righteous then I deserve material blessing. I deserve material wealth. If I'm a Christian, then I ought to be healthy and wealthy. And Jesus says, not necessarily. That is not the sum of the Christian life. And also, do we do this? Do we try to leverage this relationship with Jesus every time we, uh, we take our earthly, greedy pursuits and we kind of uh, baptize them in language that sounds spiritual. Say, I just really need to buy this toaster. Um, because think of all the, 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 the ways that I can use that in my hospitality, in my home. You know, when really what's in the back of your mind is, wow, that toaster looks really cool. <laughs> course, that's a, that's a silly example, but you can see where I'm going. Um, we, we can tell ourselves, sell ourselves this subtle lie that we're doing things for this great high gain, but really, it's about wanting more things, wanting more possessions. And so, Jesus not only Uh, shows us this contrast between this greedy agenda and his agenda, but he also goes on to give us this clear warning. He raises the alarm on the danger of greed in verse 15. What does he say? Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, there's two clear warnings there. Take care and be on your guard. Think about going to the airport and seeing a TSA agent, you know, scanning the crowds. What's he doing? He's, he's looking for criminals in disguise. He's looking for uh, someone who's trying to smuggle something into the airport that they shouldn't. 
He's got his eyes set on that one focus, scanning the horizon for any of those dangers that would enter this airport. And and that's the kind of posture that Jesus wants us to take towards greed. He wants us to be like those TSA agents that, that, that stand back and look over the scene of our lives and say, ah, I was trying to smuggle in greed there. Hmm. I was focused on love of possessions. And Jesus gives us this warning against greed because it is everywhere. All around us. Think about that. Be on guard for greed. Why? Because it saturates our culture. Our culture is like uh, a petri dish for covetousness, for love of other people's things. Think of the, the images of celebrities you see every day wearing the, the new height of fashion. And think of the, um, the commercials showcasing the newest iPhone, brand new iPhone. And, and they always get more expensive. Uh, that's the thing. And, and what are all these things doing? Every image, every sales pitch is, is aiming at feeding this one gigantic story that, that uh, is like an umbrella over our whole culture. And what is that story telling you? It's telling you that if you want the good life, you need more things. It's a grand narrative that that says this, life does consist in the abundance of possessions. So Jesus says, be on guard. And be on guard not just because it's around you, but because your heart is so prone to buying into this lie to buying into this narrative. You ever realize, realize yourself doing this? Telling yourself, if I only had a slightly bigger paycheck, then I'd be living the good life. If I only had a more stable retirement where I could sit back and relax just a bit more than I, than I currently have, then I'd have peace of mind. Finally, I'd be there. If I only had a more reliable car, if I only had a more versatile wardrobe to suit all of my seasons and needs, then, then I'd have the good life. I find myself telling me this lie, telling myself this lie over and over, every day. And Jesus isn't telling us this so that we we suddenly uh, become obsessed with finding it because it is everywhere and we need to accept that. He's telling us this because he cares about us and he wants us to be on guard to that covetousness lurking around us and in our hearts. Jesus pounds this point with a parable. He shows us what the greed-centered life really looks like. He says, okay, disciples, listen to me. You, you heard this guy's question. You've heard my warning about the greed-centered life. Let's just walk down that road and see where it leads. Because I want you to see how dangerous it can be. So look with me at verse 16 at this parable. 
The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. So you see the picture. It's of a man who already is rich, but uh, suddenly he comes into a season of even greater richness. His, uh, his fields are overflowing with produce. And so he, get, he has this fortunate dilemma of deciding, what do I do with all this stuff? What's his solution? Keep it. Hold on to it. Prepare myself for even more of it. And notice three features of this greedy life as we walk along and see Jesus unravel it. First of all, verse 17. The greedy life is an anxious life. It's a life that is teeming with anxiety. Um, Verse 17 says this. the, the, The man asks himself, what shall I do? Now, isn't this the nagging question of everyone whose life is centered upon possessions and things? Think of the man who watches the stock exchange religiously, and he's just glued to his his iPhone, and the stock's going up and down, and he's, what shall I do? Shall I put in more? Shall I pull some out? Think of the woman who has filled her home with wonderful things, and she's thinking about going on a vacation, but she's just stuck at the front door. What, what do I do? What, how do I leave this stuff? What if someone comes and steals it? And then on the whole vacation, she's, you know, she's looking at her, um, her ring app on her iPhone. You know, what do I do if someone shows up on the front door? Do I call the police? Well, there, there's all this stuff in my home. How do I protect it? Maybe we find ourselves asking this question over and over again. What do I do with my things? And this is the question of this man in our text. And the problem is very clear. The more stuff that we accumulate, the more we have to worry about. It's the way it is. The more of a temptation it is to fret over the things that come into our possession. And so we see that the greedy life is an anxious life. But that's not where this ends because the next thing we see is that the greedy life is a selfish life. Do you see how many times in one short parable this man uses the words I or my? So notice all the self-talk that this guy engages in. What shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops And then we hear this same focus on me, 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 my possessions, all the way up to verse 19, where he says this humorous line, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Do you hear all the self-talk that he's, he's engaging in? It's kind of like, it reminds me of that movie, um, Castaway. You know, Tom Hanks out there with his volleyball. And uh, what's the volleyball's name? Wilson. Wilson. And he's just talking to himself and his possessions as if they're 
you know, animate almost. You see the loneliness of this life. This man is an island surrounded by his things, stored safely in their barns, and all he has to do is sit back, talk to himself, and reflect on what he's going to do with the rest of his life by himself. But there's someone that this man has forgotten. It's God. This man has forgotten very God who made his fields to flourish, who gave him this plenteous harvest. And so we see not only that the, the greedy life is this, um, this anxious life and the selfish life. It's an empty life. Verse 20, but God said to this man, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? This man has prepared religiously for the rest of his life, but he has not prepared at all for the life to come. He has not prepared to meet his God. And in fact, this very night, God says, you're going to die. And then you're going to come before me, and what will you have? Will you have a suitcase full of your, uh, the things stored in your barns? No. Come before me empty, empty-handed. And then whose will your things be? Not yours. They'll be divvied up. So we hear in Psalm 49, 16, these words, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. So you see that the anxiety of the greedy life, the, the selfishness of that life, and also the emptiness of that life. And all of this leads just to one conclusion, that a life of greed is a foolish life. Greed promises you so much, but it leaves you in the very end with less than you, than you even had to begin with. And then greed promises you pleasure, but it, it leaves you with pain. So remember what we heard in 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Do you see now even more why Jesus says, take care, be on guard against this kind of temptation? It's a temptation that you can have if you're rich in this life, and it's a temptation you can have if you are poor in this life. You are either wanting to get something you don't have, or you're wanting to have more and more and more of what you already have. But it all comes down to the same greedy foolishness. So finally, how do we guard against greed? How do we escape this cycle that Jesus has showed us? You, you can think of all the answers that our culture has given us. You, you can take a vow of poverty. You can, um, you, you can swear, uh, you know, I, I will never uh, own another thing again. I will, I will just be, 
you know, adopt a mon- the monastic life, no possessions. I think one a bit more popular in our culture today, you could go all, um, you know, I've mentioned this a few sermons ago, uh, Marie Kondo on your life, simplify to the point of extremes, you know, get rid of it. Uh, take courses on throwing out things that you just don't need. Or maybe you turn to politics and say, well, this will solve it. This will solve the greed. You know, many different uh, ways that politics tries to deal with greed. But none of this ultimately goes to the heart of the matter. We need to see that. Not a vow of poverty. Not a Marie Kondo simplification as good as that might be, and, and not ultimately politics can deal with greed, but only something that we see in this text. And it might actually surprise you what the answer is. We don't get rid of greed by simplifying our life and throwing out all our extra stuff. No, do you want to get re- rid of greed? Then Jesus says, you must get rich. Get rich in the things of God. So look with me at verse 21. Jesus says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. How do we become rich toward God? How does that become a reality in our hearts? First, beloved, become rich towards God. By remembering the riches that you already have in Christ. Remember the riches that you have in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 8.9 says this, Remember the grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. Think of your Savior. God himself, the second person of the Trinity, clothed with immense power, clothed with privileges, the highest privileges of heaven. Everything he has is his own. And what does he do? He becomes poor, humbling himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the lowliest of places. So that we might have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what richness in Christ looks like. Notice the riches that Paul is describing in that passage are not material riches. They are far greater than any material riches we could ever hope for. They are spiritual riches. Forgiveness of sins, peace with God, joy in the Holy Spirit, the promises of eternity, with God. Whether you are rich in this life or poor in this life, if you belong to Jesus, then you have wealth beyond compare. If you are a believer who has not a dollar to your name, you are richer than all the billionaires of the world combined. And the reason is simple. It's because your riches lie in Christ in heaven. You are rich with respect to God. So I ask you, have you found these riches in Christ Jesus? 
Have you come to see the riches that you have in the Savior? Because Jesus is calling you this morning in in this passage to turn away from your slavery to things, to turn away to these storehouses full of goods that we hope for, hold on to, and he's, he's calling us to turn towards him and the riches and, uh, and the goods that only we have in him and in knowing him. If you have become rich in the Savior, if you know those riches, then there's really only one response. Give generously. That's the response to to knowing the riches we have in Christ. You see how that works. Once we come to value the riches that cannot fade, that lie for us in heaven, we we, we start to uh, uh, unleash that grip that we have on all those things that we hold on to in this life. We start to let go of those storehouses that we filled. And what starts to happen? We start to to give it up. We start to give it generously to those who need it. Look at 1 Timothy 6.18. What does Jesus tell the rich in this life to do? He says, you are to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. start to see even here this pattern of following that same self-giving pattern of the Savior, not holding on to anything and everything we can grasp, but giving up what we can for the the goals of heaven. So friends, I I want to, uh, to encourage you this morning because I have seen First Street uh, demonstrate this generosity. I have seen this kind of uh, generosity already blooming in our young work. Uh, But I want you to see in this passage the call to excel in these things. Excel more and more in cheerful giving. What does this look like? It means redirecting our riches. And not only the the material possessions that we might uh, be blessed with in this life, but also... Our time and our talents. Think about this. Turning from a selfish use of time where we uh, quarter off most of our calendar for the things that that we want and, and saying, looking carefully at this, saying, where can I give up sections of my calendar to disciple those souls that will last on to all eternity? Where can I give up a slot in my calendar uh, to... Uh, to not hold on to it for for dear life, but instead to seek to use it for God's glory, to worship him. And and it also would call to be generous with your talents. What gifts do you have that you are holding on to for yourself that God says, use that for my church, for my glory? And yes, of course, redirecting our finances. Saying, Lord, 
I could hold on to all of this. I could save up for myself a retirement that will be beyond compare. But where can I right now make a contribution to the missions being done, to the, to the furtherance of the church? Friends, I've seen this done in our midst. I want to encourage you to do it more and more. And why? Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus, what he has given us, the, the spiritual riches that he's given us, so that now we don't have to hold on to our earthly riches as if they were our life, because Christ is our life. Well, let's go to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the riches we have in Jesus. We ask that you would free us to really delight in you, so much so that the things of this earth grow dim And we are willing to give them as you call us to give them. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Invite the elders forward for the Lord's.